Hello, folks. Uh, welcome to the Fallon Forum. This is Ed Fallon, your host. We are broadcasting from Des Moines, Iowa, the cultural and culinary crossroads of America. I just love saying that. Hey, a quick shout out to a couple of our local business partners here in the Des Moines metro. Thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe. Uh, Gateway is located at 20th and Woodland. That's my grocery store. They're also a great place for breakfast, lunch, and supper, and they, they, they do have takeout, so you can still order your favorite stuff from Gateway Marketing Cafe and get it to go. Thanks also to Noche Jazz and Cabaret, located just south of the Sculpture Park. And again, they're not doing live concerts, but every Wednesday and Saturday, you can hear Noche's tunes. Uh, they've always got a great lineup, Max Wellman, Tina Haas Finley, uh, who knows who else they might have. But they've got great music live streamed every Wednesday and Saturday night. That's Noche Jazz and Cabaret. All right, so welcome to the program today, folks. Um, later in the show, we're going to be talking about um, Lee Camp's take on the election and voter suppression. We'll also be talking with, wait for it, the coronavirus. Yes, we landed an interview with the coronavirus. That should be exciting. Uh, and we'll also talk with Kathy Burns of Birds and Bees Urban Farm. Uh, try to answer some of the pressing garden questions that are coming up this time of the year as we make that tough transition from spring to summer. In this case, a, in Iowa at least, a fairly cold spring to what might be a fairly hot summer. We'll see how that goes. So to kick off the program here today, I'd like to welcome Margot Spain to the conversation. She and her husband Josh Spain are authors of a new book called Plantiful. Their business is called Plant Fueled Passion. Margot, welcome to the program. Hi, glad to be here. Great to have you. So tell us a little bit about what you and Josh do. Yeah, absolutely. So we run a business called Plant Fueled Passion, and our main mission is to empower people to feel that they can change their own health by adding in more plants, basically. Okay. Uh, more plants meaning to a vegetarian diet, a vegan diet, or... Is it pretty broad? Even omnivores are encouraged to maybe eat a more heavily plant-based omnivorean diet. <laughs> yes, that's a great question. So we encourage anyone and everyone. You can uh, be an omnivore, you can be a vegan, and really both omnivores and vegans can suffer from not getting enough plants. So, you know, really we're about taking processed foods out and adding in whole plants as unprocessed as possible and we try to make all of our recipes without sugar even oil gluten okay so i'm a little curious about what what happens uh when you say vegans that don't eat enough plants i didn't know that was possible oh yes it's absolutely possible so even myself when i first you know, thought to undertake this challenge, I ate a lot of processed foods, a lot of facsimiles, we'll say, you know, like fake vegan sausages from the supermarket. Yeah, the, 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 from... Those sound horrible. As, as an, speaking as an omnivore, <laughs> those sound just horrible. Um, they're not my favorite, but to each <laughs> their own. So that's what we're really about, though, is just, you know, everybody's got their own approach and food really hits so close to home for all of us. You know, it relates to how we were raised and even who we connect with. And so we really like to take an approach that allows everybody to be a part hmm. of what we're doing, which is just, you know, bringing in more plants. And a lot of people actually don't even know how to 
make fruits and vegetables taste good. And so empowering them with good skills in the kitchen, you know, or just a few simple tips. That's what we're all about. Yeah, I, I have dined at places where the uh, the the host, kind though they be, didn't know how to make plants taste good. Uh, you can only <laughs> you, you can only boil things for so long before they become well, shall we say, insipid. Anyway, yeah, uh, <laughs> yes, it's not a perfected art, but we're gaining traction. Right, I'm the guy who grew up. Part of my you know part of my summers was spent in Ireland, and every day it was boiled potatoes. Now boiled potatoes, that's not so bad. But boiled cabbage every day, that got a little old. And, you know, that was just pretty much, that was the way of cooking something, was to boil it. We even boiled the eggs in Ireland. Huh, how about that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we are actually known for eating quite a lot of potatoes. Um, and there's a lot of bad press, actually, um, with things like carbohydrates, especially. And we love our potatoes, and we love... You know, our good starches, they're great fiber. They're good for your guts. Um, they can even be detoxifying. So we are all about the potatoes Well, if, you're, if you're all about potatoes, then we're, we're good. Yeah. <laughs> so, hey, Margo, what inspired you? This is an interesting path, and this is a, not just a path. It's a passion. It's a lifestyle. It's, a, it's, a, it's an undertaking. Of, 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 it's, a, it's a big undertaking. So what, uh, what inspired you to follow this path? Yeah, um, that's a great question. So... I actually struggled starting when I was 15 years old with something called fibroadenomas, but at the time I couldn't make a lot of sense of it. And what it was, was that my body was growing fibrous tumors in my chest starting when I was 15 years old, and I would get a couple of them every year. And they could be quite big, you know, bigger than a golf ball. And I would have to get them surgically removed wow. or have a surgical biopsy performed a couple times every year. And when I wasn't getting the surgeries, I was getting ultrasounds. And so this really became a big part of my life. And for six years, I went through this whole pattern of going to the doctor and getting them removed and staying up to date on them, which was a, really a lot to handle as a young person. You must have thought it was and going to be your fate for your entire life. So then my mom, when I was actually 21, she was just trying to combat some high cholesterol and she watched the documentary Forks Over Knives and told me, why don't you try this out? It sounds crazy, but I've been doing this for about a month. You could see if this helps with your breast tumors. And I was actually kind of afraid at the time because my whole paternal lineage of, of women um, has suffered from some kind of breast cancer, or reproductive cancer, and I was not willing to face such things at such a young age. So I dove in, which was really a lot for me because I came from a background of loving to cook and eating around a colorful table of all kinds of goodies. And, you know, I was really excited about learning more and more with cooking and this really took me back to square one hmm. and having to relearn and restock my pantry and just go back to the beginning but then after six months of being plant-based i had had three tumors that were existing in my chest before going plant-based and they had all disappeared by the six month mark wow that's pretty amazing and uh and so have you had any trouble since you've been on this journey? No, I haven't. Oh. And that's why I keep going. So 
I still love food. I still love to cook. Um, I still love to celebrate, but we've just really learned how to integrate that, you know, and, and the plant-based and make it all a part of our life. It's, it's really a lifestyle and we love it and it's served us so well. And, and my husband, Josh has benefited from it so much too. Yeah. What's Josh's story? What got him involved in this, this, uh, this approach to, uh, to eating and living? Yeah. So Josh actually was, um, it came from an ethical vegan standpoint. So he was vegetarian for a while before we met and he comes from a farm family. And I believe that he was on his great uncle's farm and he had seen like his dog playing with one of the cows and that kind of did it for him. And he became vegetarian. But then when he met me, actually, if you want to know the truth, I said something really stupid (laughs) (laughs) and I told him that I wouldn't, date somebody that didn't eat like me because it would be too hard and I just love to cook so much and I love this lifestyle so much and so I don't don't think that's I don't I don't think that's stupid at all I think that makes a lot of sense (laughs) because food is such an important part of your life and the person you're sharing your life with if if you're if you're on a different food journey it's going to get difficult so I I I, I'm going to correct you on that I don't think that was at all stupid I think that was brilliant Well, that's what I said. And he came back a week later and he's like, so I haven't eaten cheese. And um, then, you know, the rest is history. And we got married shortly after that. But we totally connected over this whole lifestyle. And Josh is a phenomenal cook and um, even better than me. And he can bake an insane batch of cookies without any recipe. And he's just amazing. And so Really, what he offers to our business is an incredible culinary input, and I'm more of a health coach. But yeah, together, I think we make a great team. So what kind of services do you and Josh provide through Plant Fuel Passion? Yeah, so we do a couple of different things. So we do individual health coaching, and we do content creation. So if a business wanted to hire us to create plant-based recipes for them or help them take a plant-based approach with a vision that they have. We do that. And we're actually just about to come out with a bundle where you can get health coaching, a private cooking lesson with Josh and our ebook in one bundle. So we're really just about making plant-based accessible to people, whether that's through an individualized approach or whether they just wanted to buy an ebook and kind of take the reins for themselves and explore. Cool. That's that's great. And uh, again, the the website, in case people want to go and learn more and, and maybe uh, hook up with some of these products, uh, is, it, uh, is it simply Plant Fueled Passion? Yes, it's www.plantfueledpassion.com. Okay. And so, and again, you are you're both vegans, but you're okay with the omnivores of the world, like me and Kathy. Yes, we okay, actually you're, you're... like to call. We like to call ourselves plant based because we really um, don't quite enjoy the dogma that goes around with um, calling ourselves vegan. You know, I've definitely heard of people getting death threats and it gets, it's a wild world out there. So wait, 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 you, take... you, you mean, you mean omnivores getting death threats from vegans? Oh yes. Or, you know, people that have been vegan and choose a different lifestyle and then, you know, people tell them that they're going to try to, you know, I don't want to get into it, but it, it's, a, it's a scary world out there. So we. Oh, I know. And so my, my interaction with it is, a, I mean, I just got an email from somebody a couple of days ago saying, uh, 
He says, uh, if, if everyone, what do you say, if everyone who already believes that we need to take action in dealing with the climate crisis became vegetarian or vegan, we would meet the Paris Climate Accord so much faster than governments agreed to. I propose that Bold Iowa uh, shift its focus to educating and empowering people to save our planet through the choices they make when it comes to eating. So <laughs> that was it. <laughs> yes, that, well... And I have a great deal of respect for what you do. And you do things better than we do. You know, sometimes we still buy like a, a cabbage from the store that didn't even come from, you know, that came from California or Mexico. And so, you know, what you're doing, which is eating locally, also makes a great impact. And we try to not be too privileged about it, you know, and be too elitist, I should say. So whatever approach you can take to do your best to better the environment is wonderful. And what we're really about with the plants is bettering your your personal, physical health. Um, but there's many ways to approach the environment. We do think that going plant-based has a great impact on the environment. But to blanket that whole thing by saying if you go vegan, you're going to, you know, make the biggest environmental impact is maybe not not so yeah. accurate. You yeah, know, you've got to... Everybody plays a part. Yeah, and my perspective on that is I look at I look at ecosystems in the wild. Uh, natural ecosystems all have plants and they have animals. And you, you don't have a functional ecosystem if you only have plants or only have animals. And you know, and I, I happen to think that the uh, uh, the conventional American diet, which is very heavy on meat, is is out of whack with 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 what's what's natural. But I also you know for me personally. Um, I would rather buy my dairy, buy dairy products and meat from people I know in Iowa nearby uh, than buy vegetables from California. I think to me that's more sustainable. It's more healthy. Um, it works for us. I mean, I, again, I have very great respect for your diet, for your approach, for your passion, and for you know, other people. But what I, the only thing I really don't like is, um, is being, again, force-fed that that somebody else's way is the only way. I, I guess I, I would rather be proselytized by a Jehovah Witness than <laughs> by an evangelical vegan. Yes, um, <laughs> absolutely. I totally get that. And, you know, I have a family that, you know, I care deeply about their health, and I've taken many approaches over the years of, you know, trying to expose them to this diet. And one thing that's never worked is, is force-feeding. So I, I believe deeply in just trying to incorporate more plants into your diet. And really our biggest challenge here is not the omnivores that are eating locally and getting garden goodies from their backyard. It's really the standard American diet and it's our reliance on meat and cheese and the subsidies that go along with those. And that has been long ingrained in all of our, you know, our system about how we have to eat. Right. And I think that just eating more plants is really where we are coming from. And I will say, I, th I think you are on the cutting edge of what is uh, currently of interest to more and more people. Uh, more and more people are, sh are switching to a plant-based diet. I um, mean, Kathy has a daughter who uh, is made mostly a vegan. I have a daughter-in-law who is completely a vegan. And again, we know more and more people all the time who are, that's the way they're going. And so I'm guessing that you are probably seeing more traffic more interest, um, more people calling and writing and asking for your for your help. Yeah, more and more. I, I, I'm liking these days better than my early days as a, a vegan, we'll say. You know, I've been doing this for like, 
I think over six years now. And when I first started, you know, I, I definitely got the side eye and some, some weird looks for just what I was doing. And, um, you know, it, it even scared people sometimes. And people would ask me, where are you getting your protein? And yeah. you're going to lose your memory. And just people would accuse <laughs> me of all where, kinds of things. Where, where, do they, where do they get the idea that you would lose your memory? I don't know. Apparently, it huh. happened to somebody, and, and they thought that it was because that person was vegan. But yeah, I'm doing really well. I'm healthy, and I'm I'm loving where you know things are going. The future, the trajectory of this lifestyle, it seems like it's gaining a lot of traction. Well, and that's do, really cool. That other question, though, legitimate. Where do you get your protein from? Um, actually, we eat a lot of beans. You would okay. be surprised. We we probably eat I don't know three or four servings of beans a day. Uh, wait 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 um, a, a day? Yeah, a day. How many meals do you eat a day? <laughs> we eat probably three and a half meals a day or so. So you you, you know, eat more you eat more servings of meals than you have more servings of beans than you have meals. <laughs> we eat probably a couple you know a couple servings of beans twice a day. So lunch and dinner we get a lot of beans. And we love getting a variety of beans. We're all about the diversity. Okay. We really believe that that's great for your, and I, I, your I, gut I, health. I presume you've learned how to cook beans in a way that renders them uh, unable to uh, to uh, affect that socially unacceptable uh, habit that, <laughs> uh, that beans are often associated with. Yes. Well, um, beans are fabulous. I think if you struggle with such things, just adding a little bit more each time, that seems to kind of help. But we've learned that the instant pot and soaking your beans ahead of time, things like that are really good for making um, beans more digestible. And you can throw in some Pacific kombu, you know, which of course is not local from, you know, where you're at in Iowa. But yeah, <laughs> no, sometimes throw I've never beans. heard of it even. Yeah, it can it can help curb those those effects, or so they say. Okay. But whoever they is. Right. Somebody. <laughs> okay. Well, we've we've gotten off into that topic. Hey, uh, Margo, I really appreciate you taking the time to join us uh, again. Uh, I I I'm always excited to meet new people who are doing creative things with food that is that you know that is trying to focus on more sustainability. And, uh, and healthier dieting. So again, thank you for the work that you and Josh are doing. Absolutely. We love to do it. And if people want to get in touch with you, learn more, where do they go? Yeah. Uh, best place to find us is on social media. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook. Plant Fueled Passion is our name on both of those places. And then on our website, which is plantfueledpassion.com. Great. Margo, thank you so much. Good luck. Yeah. Thank you so much, Ed. Take All right, care. folks, when we come back, we're going to talk uh, about Lee Camp's work to, to bring to uh, people's attention the fact that 17 million Americans have been purged from the voter rolls and what that means and why it's important. We'll be back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is your locally owned source for specialty groceries. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, specialty cheeses and hand-selected wines and craft beer. Visit the Lively Cafe for breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. Gateway Market is centrally located on the corner of Martin Luther King Jr. Parkway and Woodland Avenue. Stop by or visit www.gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. Across the Des Moines Metro, Ritual Cafe is known for its excellent fair trade coffee and fair trade tea. 
Ritual Cafe also serves breakfast and lunch and offers an entirely vegetarian menu. This unique venue is also known for its live music and displays of local artwork on the walls. Located on 13th Street between Locust and Grand in downtown Des Moines, Ritual Cafe is open six days a week. Make Ritual Cafe a daily part of your ritual. Noche is the premier home in Des Moines for jazz and cabaret. With its prime downtown location and stylish ambiance, Noche attracts both national acts and local favorites, including Max Wellman, Gina Gedler, Scott Smith, Tina Haas Findlay, and Nick Leo. Every Wednesday night, you can enjoy the progressive sounds of one of America's longest-running jazz orchestras, the Des Moines Big Band. Noche also offers a world-class cocktail bar and serves a variety of small plates. If you haven't been to Noche, you haven't experienced the fullness of Des Moines' cultural revival. If you have, we're sure you'll be back. Noche, located on Walnut Street, just south of the Sculpture Park in downtown Des Moines. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. I'd like to take a second to thank a couple of the local businesses that make this program possible. Thanks to Hawk Restaurant, that's H-O-Q Hawk Restaurant, where 90% of the food served comes from Iowa farms and Iowa producers. They're doing takeout, and they just did a fantastic Mother's Day brunch. I hope they keep that sort of thing coming. Thanks also to Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has been treating all creatures great and small for over 30 years. That's Story County Veterinary Clinic. All right, so welcome back to the program. I am a big fan of Lee Camp and Redacted Tonight. It's a, it's a wonderful show, folks, that is really hard-hitting. It's not for the faint of... Uh, if you don't like uh, the occasional strong um, Anglo-Saxon word, you might, you might have your feelings hurt. But it's, it's really, really good commentary. And it's well-researched. It's spot-on analysis. And Lee's talk uh, this past week about voter suppression was timely. Because I think a lot of people don't realize just how bad it, it is. I mean, we have gerrymandering, of course, where districts have been intentionally retrofitted to fit a particular political party's design. Uh, and yet Democrats have done some of that, too although mostly Republicans do it, and they do it really, really well, meaning really, really badly for the voters. You know, you've also got concerns about uh, voter ID cards being required. Uh, you've got concerns about, uh, about well, what happens in New York with, uh, <laughs> with what? Uh, if you're an independent voter and you want to vote in the Democratic primary, say for, oh, Bernie Sanders, you've got to change your voter registration eight months ahead of time. That's crazy. Or in California, where, where provisional ballots have been sent uh, to every, you know, I mean, when, when, you have, when you had to do a provisional ballot, Lee likes to call them placebo ballots because you think you voted, but in most cases, many at least, enough cases to be of great concern, you didn't. So, um, you know, Lee, Lee has some really good analysis of this. And we're going we're gonna to we're gonna cut to Redacted tonight. And Lee's opening line is one that should get your attention and should make you concerned. His opening line is, Donald Trump will probably win re-election. Donald Trump will probably win re-election. And I take no pride in saying that. 
I am not excited to see another four years from the most corrupt, incompetent, megalomaniacal man-child this country has ever seen. And no, the reason he'll win is not just because Joe Biden happens to be the most pathetic candidate, candidate the Democratic Party has ever put up since uh, Hillary Clinton way back in... Was that only four years ago? Seems like 900. Ah, oh, is life slowing down, speeding up? Is it, are we in purgatory? Is this purgatory? Cause, sorry, this isn't even in the script. I'm just having a breakdown. No, Donald Trump will likely win re-election because nearly 17 million Americans have been purged from voter rolls over the past four years. And your corporate media doesn't have the to talk about it. Investigative reporter Greg Pallas, the man who discovered how Bush stole the presidency in 2000, the guy who discovered how the Deepwater Horizon oil spill actually happened, the guy who revealed how California was stolen from Bernie Sanders by forcing provisional ballots on everyone, and the guy who discovered where I left my underwear that crazy night in Vegas, that guy has uncovered yet another way our sham democracy has been rigged. And he reveals it in his new book, How Trump Stole 2020. Between 2014 and 2016, the number of voters purged for moving their residence had soared to 16,696,470. One in 12 registered Americans. Over 16 and a half million Americans. And guess what? Most of them didn't actually move. And almost all of them didn't actually move out of their state, meaning almost all of them, 16.7 million people, should be able to vote, but won't be allowed to when they show up to the polling place in November. To give you an idea of, of, of just how much 16.7 million purged voters could matter in this year's election, Trump won the state of Michigan against Hillary Clinton in 2016 by 10,000 704 votes. That's 0.065% of the number of people purged across the nation for moving residences when they didn't really move. And please, please, please keep in mind, I am not saying anything wonderful about Hillary Clinton or Joe Biden. That's not the point. I just want a legit election. So I will call out all election meddling. I'll call out fraud, suppression, all of it. Whether it comes from the, the GOP, the DNC, the CIA, run DMC. I just want an actual election. Please, please, please. I just don't know why you won't let us have an election. I just want. Well, that's not true. I actually do know it's because you, you corrupt sociopaths who, who don't want to give up control, but still, please. I mean, 16.7 million? That's too many. That's really too many. It's too many. Actually, it's a lot more than 16.7 million because that's just the people who were purged for supposedly changing residences when they didn't. That's not even counting the people purged by way of interstate cross-check, which I've covered before on the show, or purged by way of closed polling places, or thrown out mail-in votes, et cetera. Yes, even though some people right now are pushing for a complete mail-in election this coming November due to the pandemic, Greg Palace reports 
Mail-in ballots are a nightmare. 22% are thrown out, moved 80% mail-in voting, and 25 million people would lose their votes. The powers that be can throw out mail-in ballots for anything. It doesn't matter. They, it could be that the signature doesn't quite match, or it could be that the person had a, a stray mark or a rogue booger on the page, or maybe they, they just barely, just barely, hardly at all, wiped their ass a little bit with the ballot. Just a little. When it's Donald Trump versus Joe Biden, can you blame them? Can you blame them? Just a little bit, sure. Of course, when you're alone in that booth with the curtain closed, why would you not? Why would you not? Here's another example from Powell's new book. Korean Americans were asked to sign their mail-in ballots, like everyone else. Thousands of them signed their name in Korean, their native language. All of those were thrown out, every last one. Because you know what? People from other countries, am I right? With their languages and stuff, if they wanted to be treated like human beings, then maybe they shouldn't have migrated to the land of opportunity, morons. We didn't promise equality, we promised opportunity. They have the opportunity to be oppressed, to be maligned, to be discriminated against. The opportunity to have uh, mildly racist, stereotypical portrayals in movies and television, all kinds of opportunities. They've got opportunities out the wazoo and wazoo up the yin-yang with yin-yang out the hoo-ha. So once you know that so many Americans, mostly minorities and young people, will be disenfranchised, you have to ask, where? Where is the Democratic Party? Why aren't they acting like they're, they're, their panties are in a bunch, their hair is on fire? What? Why not? Well, as with everything involving the Democrats, it's a beautiful combination, a creme brulee of incompetence and corruption. It's a crime brulee. Some of the voter suppression that they don't know about, they then find out and they think, eh, let's not make it a big issue. Because if we do, people will start asking about the primary elections too. And we totally, totally rigged those against Bernie Sanders. Oh man, oh man. So let's not discuss the kicking of voters off the rolls and the such. It's a real can of worms. So instead, they and the liberal-aligned media never talk about the millions of Americans purged from the rolls. It, 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 mil, million, mil, it's insane. One out of 12 voters, it's insane. It's ridiculous, it's pathetic. We all have a right to participate in this democracy. We have a right to that ballot, and we have a right to wipe our ass with it. Okay, so yeah, it, it's hard again. It's hard to argue with this. The, the the stuff that Lee is quoting from, by the way, this 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 um, research about 17 million people being purged from the voting rolls. That's from the Brennan Center for Justice. That's not a that's not a progressive think tank. It's it's a very balanced, respected entity that functions at the New York University Law School. You know, this stuff is real. It's a problem and more people need to be speaking out against it. Uh, you know, it'd be great if we could get by, get through some of this, get back to paper ballots, get back to one vote counting, get away from this electoral college, which is a joke. You know, you again, you can win the popular vote. How many times does this happen in this century already? Twice. You can win the popular vote and still not be president. 
Anyway, we've got plenty of work to do. Uh, my hat is off to Lee Camp for helping to highlight these problems. Thanks, folks. We'll be back in a few minutes when we um, talk with a guest that you will not expect to appear on this program or any program, the coronavirus. When it's time to entertain, think of Gateway Market to handle all the details. Gateway offers a wide variety of stress-free options like cut-to-order cheese and charcuterie, a delicious olive bar, and a wide variety of chef-prepared dips and spreads. Or let Gateway's catering team take care of the entire event, right down to the wine and beer pairings. Gateway's expert floral designers can even customize the perfect centerpieces. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more information. Gateway Market, good food, great entertaining. Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant. Well, maybe not an elephant. If you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's work history is long and deep and her clients stick with her year after year because they know she will do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Dr. Holding a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766. That old black magic has me in its spell. That old black magic that you weave so well Those icy fingers up and down my spine The same old witchcraft when your eyes meet mine That same old tingle that I feel inside And when that elevator its ride then down and down I go round and round I go like a leaf that's caught in the tide welcome back to the program Ed Fallon your host here broadcasting from Des Moines Iowa the cultural and culinary crossroads of America uh, thanks to a couple of our nonprofit uh, sponsors thanks to bold Iowa Fighting Climate Change and the Dakota Access Pipeline since 2015. That's boldiowa.com. Thanks also to Birds and Bees Urban Farm in Des Moines, birdsbeesurbanfarm.org. Check it out. All right, again, welcome back to the program. You know, over the years, we've had a lot of interesting guests on this program. Uh, Tulsi Gabbard, Tom Steyer, uh, Dolores Huerta, uh, uh, Robert Reich. We've had some interesting guests. But today's guest is in a separate class altogether. Folks, I'd like to welcome to the Fallon Forum, the coronavirus. Hi, Ed. Good to be here. Uh, well, good to have you here, I think. Uh, may I may I call you Corey? Sure, I've been called worse. <laughs> I'll bet you have. Uh, first, let me say to those in our audience watching online, you'll notice that I'm not wearing a mask. That's because Corey and I have a deal. Uh, yeah, just for this day, just because Ed is kind enough to get my perspective on things, I have dialed down the virility. So, Ed, feel free to get as close to me as you want. Uh, this is close enough, thank you. Uh, so, Corey, let's, um, let's, uh, let's just cut to the chase, okay? Why, why are you doing this? Uh, why are you hurting so many people? Uh, really, I'm not that different than other life forms. Uh, 
It's all about eating and reproducing. I'm just looking for a good meal and a spawn a lot of offspring. So what you're saying basically is it's all about food and sex. I see you understand me. <laughs> okay, I got it. Um, but do you have any remorse about all the, all the havoc and pain you're causing? No, really. Uh, is what I'm doing any different than what you humans are doing to the rest of life on Earth? At least I'm only messing with one species. You get credit for causing the sixth mass extinction. I'm never going to match that accomplishment. Ouch. Now, whatever. Okay, let's, uh, let's address some of the um, obvious questions that people, people probably have. Okay, those masks. The masks that many people are wearing. Do those masks actually work? Can, can those keep uh, you and your pals from, uh, from making your way into uh, you know, our respiratory system? You know, I'm reluctant to give away trade secrets, but okay, masks. It depends how they're made and how you're using them. Those single layer jobs that keep slipping off people's noses, we blow right through those. And when people are always touching them to reposition, it's like Opportunityville for us. It's, it's those double layer numbers with the inserts that give us trouble. Uh, and it's not just about keeping us from passing through your mask. It's about keeping your spit out of the air in other people's faces. So, yeah, masks really do keep you from sharing us with all your buddies. Okay, so, fine. But what, what about social distancing? You know, does six feet of separation really matter, Corey? You know, are, are you that limited in terms of uh, the, the uh, range of your impact? So that if um, me and an effect, infected person are six feet apart... You know, does that put a crimp in your style? Well, sure. We can't exist on our own. We rely on our human hosts, shall we say, to feed off of and stay alive. And we can only hang out in thin air for so long before we fizzle out. If you're farther away from each other, it's harder for us to make it from one host to the other. Okay, so let me ask you this. Uh, you know, I know that any, any set of human lungs is fair game, but, but one of your buddies recently uh, infected one of President Trump's peeps you know, one, one of you actually got inside the White House. Uh, how, did, how did they pull that off? Yeah, some of us had landed some pretty big fish. <laughs> Seriously, though. Trump, Pence, some of those White House staffers are doing us a big favor. They're hardly even wearing masks in public, which sets an example that you're more secure than you really are. You even have people rioting in order to be allowed not to wear masks. Can you believe it? These people are like putty in our hands. I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, uh, let's look at this from an historical uh, perspective. Uh, you, you know, no offense, but what you know, but are you really that big of a deal? I mean, you've got you're up against the bubonic plague, uh, the Spanish flu, the AIDS epidemic, and AIDS killed what 32 million people alone. So is is COVID 19? You know, is that going to be one of those here today, forgotten tomorrow viruses, or have you got some real staying power? Are you kidding me? 285,000 deaths worldwide so far, with more than 81,000 in the U.S. alone. We are definitely a player. Maybe not on the same caliber as Black Death, but yeah, we're a big deal, so show a little respect. The thing is, the 285,000 deaths we've caused is with all the medical and scientific, quote, expertise. You people ought to really be able to beat us better than this. All right, well, tell me about it. Um, oh, okay, L looking ahead. Some people say that you're not just a symptom. You're, 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 you're actually just a symptom, rather, of a larger problem. 
you know, our lifestyle is that problem, uh, which, of course, is all about more and more people on the planet, uh, more and more industrialization, more and more consumption. And um, yet, you know, we don't seem to be uh, paying attention to the scientists who have warned us about climate change and they tell us it's leading us toward human extinction. So here's my question. Uh, we, you know, we, have a real, we really have a common interest here, Corey. Okay, so if humans die off, where's your next meal going to come from? Oh, just like the planet, the coronavirus will get along just fine without you humans. Remember, we evolve at lightning speeds. You, not so much. We've mm. only been around for, what, six months, and so far we've already mutated. Humanity's only hope for beating us is to not be stupid. Well, we're banking on stupid. Well, um, that may be a good investment, I'm afraid. We'll see. Uh, so, uh, that's, that's sobering, uh, Corey. Um, I, I, know, I know you've got a packed schedule, and so I, I really appreciate you joining us. Um, any last words you'd like to share with our audience? Uh, if you don't mind, I'd like to wax poetic and share some experts, excerpts excuse me, from a poem written by Kristen Flintz. It's called An Imagined Letter from COVID-19 to Humans. I'm going to read this, these parts to you now. Despite... What you might think or feel, we are not the enemy. We are messenger. We are ally. We are a balancing force. We are asking you to stop, to be still, to listen, to move beyond your individual concerns and consider the concerns of all. To be with your ignorance, to find your humility, to relinquish your thinking minds and travel deep into the mind of the heart. To look up into the sky, streaked with fewer planes, and see it, to notice its condition, clear, smoky, smoggy, rainy. How much do you need, need, do you need it to be healthy so you may also be healthy? Many are afraid now. Do not demonize your fear and also do not let it rule you. Instead, let it speak to you. In your stillness, listen for its wisdom. Stop. Notice if you are resisting. Notice what you are resisting. Ask why. Stop. Just stop. Be still. Listen. Ask us what we might teach you about illness and healing about what might be required so that all may be well. Wow, that's, um, that's powerful stuff. Uh, thank you, uh, Corey. Uh, folks, we've been talking with uh, Corey, uh, the coronavirus. Uh, nice to have your perspective, uh, Corey. And well, I, I, I won't wish you good luck, but I do thank you for joining us. Well, thanks, Ed, and uh, stay safe. At, well, not too safe, if you know what I mean. Right, right. <laughs> Okay, so hey, when we come back, folks, uh, Kathy Burns with Birds and Bees Urban Farms is going to join us, and we're going to answer some of the nagging questions uh, that gardeners and urban farmers have this time of the year as the growing season shifts from spring to summer. This is Ed Fallon, back with you in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is your locally owned source for specialty groceries. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, specialty cheeses, and hand-selected wines and craft beer. Visit the Lively Cafe for breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. Gateway Market is centrally located on the corner of Martin Luther King Jr. Parkway and Woodland Avenue. 
Stop by or visit www.gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. It's important to know where your food comes from. At Hawk Restaurant, that's easy because 90% comes from Iowa farms and Iowa producers. Located at East 5th and Walnut Street, Hawk is open for lunch and supper Monday through Saturday. From May through October, you'll also find Hawk at the Downtown Farmer's Market serving fantastic breakfast wraps with 100% of the ingredients from Iowa, except for the salt and pepper. Learn more at hawktable.com. That's H-O-Q-Table.com. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. I'd like to take a second to thank a couple of our local business partners. Thank you to Gateway Marketing Cafe. That's my grocery store. And also a great place for breakfast, lunch, and supper. And yeah, they're doing takeouts. You can still have breakfast, lunch, and supper at Gateway Marketing Cafe. Thanks also to Ritual Cafe, Fair Trade Coffee, Fair Trade Tea, and an all-vegetarian menu. And yes, they are also offering takeout service. That's Gateway, that's, sorry, Ritual Cafe. All right, so welcoming to the program, Kathy Burns with uh, Birds and Bees Urban Farm. Uh, this is the time of the year when people are transitioning from spring to summer and we've had well, we've had quite a spring and lots of conversation online and elsewhere about the uh, cold weather and, and one question that has gotten a lot of conversation is the temperature might hit freezing what do I do with all my plants right and the difficult part of the, about that for people has been um, say some of these online groups that were in the vegetable growing group and and this kind of Facebook thing um, People are in all different parts of Iowa, and it might have hit freezing or below in one part of Iowa, but not right where you and I live here in the heart of Des Moines, Ed. So um, it's hard to field questions for people when everyone is in such a very different circumstance. Well, we, we hit 36 degrees here, and we um, it was forecast to get down to 33 or 4, and that made me a little bit nervous, but, uh, you know, I... There, there, I'm not recommending that we urbanize all of Iowa, but there is an advantage to being in the urban core. Uh, yeah, we don't have a deer problem either. We sure have a squirrel problem. More about that sometime. Yeah. But we, uh, <laughs> we, we tend to have a little bit warmer temps here. But you know, I, I don't, I don't think it's if, if your temps are going to get down to 35, 6, 7, I wouldn't worry about covering tomatoes, peppers, eggplant, especially if they've. If they're of any kind of a substantive size, you know, I mean, ideally they've been hardened off. Ideally they have had some time in the ground. I mean, we planted ours April 23rd and we have we have tomato plants that are already, what, a foot and a half tall. Right. And, and those are strong. Covering them up, you can incur some damage to those plants as well. Uh, I talked to a friend of ours who had put some tomatoes in the ground. She chose to cover them. Uh, it didn't get down to freezing here, and she said she did break a couple of significant leaves off that tomato plant. I think that plant will be fine. I think it had sufficient leaves to get it by, but um, you can damage the plant if you do too much finagling with them. The only tomato carnage we had was on a day when the winds were hitting uh, 28 miles per hour, and, uh, in, and despite the fact that we have, what, 20-plus tomato plants out there, only one, it was a, a John Bear plant. Actually, our only John Bear mm. plant. So we really, 
we really want that plant to live because that's our only source of, uh, of, of John Bear seed going forward. And uh, it took a beating. Both of the uh, main leaves were broken, yeah. but we left it hoping, okay, maybe something will regenerate from the, from the core of the, uh, of the main stem. And sure enough, now, what, two or three weeks later, two weeks later, I guess, that little foliage is starting to come back. So we will have a John Bear plant. If, that, it, if all continues in this direction. Yeah, we were really relieved to see that plant come back. Um, another option would have been I could track down a couple of people who got a John Bear seedling from us, put it into their ground, and asked if we could have a couple of their good specimens come time to save the seed, except they may not have isolated that tomato in a way that the seed would be saved in a more specific way to have a well, truly heirloom and, variety. And it doesn't need a lot of isolation distance. Uh, tomatoes need about 10 feet generally. I mean, some varieties, some types of tomatoes need more like 40 feet. But tomatoes, seed saving for tomatoes is relatively easy compared to some plants. So, um, you know, I know people are all over the board on what to do. Some put up, uh, put milk jugs around their plants. Some put walls of water. Some were able to put up you know, hoop uh, structures over them, you know, and if you've got a lot of plants, that's harder to do. And again, we just took our chances, didn't hurt them. I know that there are people too who worry if it gets down to below 40, but I think, you know, mm. tell your plants to buck up, tell them to get a little <laughs> tough. You know, they, they've got to prepare now to be able to withstand some of those colder temps in October. You know, you want, you want tomatoes, peppers, ideally, right, right through the end of October. So uh, we actually often get them even in early November, but that's, yeah, partly because we've, train them to be able to uh, withstand those 30 degree or those uh, temps in the 30s. Again, not below freezing. But we give our plants tough love, tough that's love. for sure. <laughs> so someone, here's a question from someone. Is it too late to start plants from seed indoors? Today is the uh, 12th of May. Uh, yes. <laughs> you you missed that boat. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You would, you would only get the seed to sprout and get enough size on it uh, in time to have it be beyond the time that you wanted it outside. So if you didn't get your seeds in, you know, planted to seedling already, you're going to go to your garden center. We hope a nice locally owned one and uh, and you're going to buy a seedling and put that in. Um, now, you can still do some direct sowing though. Outside, sure. Yeah. yeah. yeah you can still do, there's plenty of opportunity for uh, for sowing outside or again for planting seedlings outside. But I would say, um, you know, the, the other opportunity, and this is something I've only experimented with once, is growing uh, fall crops from mm -hmm. seed indoors. And I wouldn't do that until maybe July. You might, you might try cabbage, broccoli, uh, cauliflower, you could, a kale. You could conceivably start those indoors under lights and then plant them after August 1st. But, um, yeah, for, for, for the most part... You know, starting seeds indoors is past, although I would say we still have about 70 Ocilio thin-skinned <laughs> peppers in our basement. Not that I really wanted to have them that late, no. but... Uh, we, we, we learned some lessons well, about saving... Well, I'm not sure, I'm not sure what lesson we learned. Reinforced some lessons about... <laughs> well, we, we saved seed from last year's crop and planted in, early, planted in February. They mm -hmm. didn't germinate. So we said, well, let's, let's plant again. We're not sure why. And they didn't germinate. So we planted 2018 Ocilio pepper seeds that we'd saved, yep. and those came up. But as a result, they're running really late, uh, but they'll be okay. They'll be ready to be, they'll be hardened off and ready to plant um, last, last of May, and uh, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's, that's the lesson. If you, if you don't already know, if you do save seed, don't get rid of two years ago. Save, save a couple of years back in case your most recent one that you saved 
something goes wrong with that, you've got a backup from just the year prior to that. So a little tip on saving seeds. Yeah, that, that lesson learned there because there was another crop that we also that we might have had a failure, uh, a, a failure at saving that seed, and we don't have a backup from the previous year. So anyway, I'm glad we did with the Ocelio peppers. So uh, yeah, someone else asking, I've got some onion starts. Um, what do I do with those? Do I need to put them in water? What do I do with them? Okay, so by starts, I think they probably mean little little seedlings. The bulbs. Well, not just the bulbs. I think they mean plants. Oh, uh, you not know, sets. Not starts, sets. Well, not in sets, sets okay. those are easy enough. You just pop them in the ground, and this is a little late, but you can still do it now. So the set, for people who don't know, is it looks like a little onion bulb, but it's a like like a little shriveled thing, and you put it in the ground, and it does indeed become your onion. Yeah. So a start would be it's got the plant growing out of it. Yeah. All right. right. Exactly. And I, I I would not soak those in water. I would no. I would just uh, get a little bit of water on a paper towel and wrap that around there and keep them you know cool and dark and most important get them in the ground ASAP. Yep. Yeah. yeah. They want so. to grow. Now, again, someone else was asking, is it too early to plant tomatoes, oh peppers, and eggplant? There are, I know there are folks in Iowa who wait till after April or April, May 15th to plant. And, you know, and maybe in the northern regions, that makes sense. Maybe in certain areas where you've got the risk of a frost, that makes sense. But again, we've, all of ours were in the ground April 23rd here in Des Moines. And that's about, we always get them in by May 1st, and it always works. It's kind of like the change of seasons. We uh, we used to uh, plant, I think maybe it used to make more sense to stick with the May 15th date, but the climate is changing, and I think that we are shifting seasons a little bit. And sure enough, we uh, we have those in safely in the ground in late April. And then the same thing happens with the garlic. We, yeah. uh, we plant the garlic a little Late October, later because, early November. Because it's, because yeah. it's warm later in the season. Yeah. So another question, uh, my, this is my favorite question, is it possible to plant artichokes in Iowa? And oh. yeah, we've been, I've been, I've been growing artichokes for 25 crazy years. Uh, me, not so much. <laughs> me, me with you, Ed, for the past three years. And what a joy it's been. We don't get a ton of food out of them, but boy, they make up for it in sheer satisfaction with a little tarragon butter. Mmm, so good. By, by, by little, Kathy means a lot. <laughs> anyway, uh, you know, the, the trick with artichokes is uh, they are, by design, a biennial. So they want to produce that bud, the edible portion, in the second year. But if you... Um, there are some varieties that we I've experimented with uh, with Green Globe with uh, Violetto, uh, what else? Um, what's the Romanesco. One that, what's the one that's so pokey? It's Violetto. really sharp. Violetto. Violetto. Yeah, they're I, sharp little. Yeah, guys. they're 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 well again they're related to a thistle yeah. and the Violetto artichoke has a very thistle like leaf. I would stay away from it. They're kind of pretty. They got a purplish cone cone type feature to them they're pretty and they taste fine i just don't think they do as well and again i have much better success with the green globe producing in one year um, there are other artichokes that i'm interested in experimenting with that they say now might even make it through a northern climate winter we'll we'll find we'll tell you more about that as we conduct those experiments but the the trick with artichokes in iowa is to get them started before thanksgiving indoors and get them big and strong Mm-hmm. by February, mm-hmm. and then try to harden them up. Put them in that harsh winter-like environment that doesn't go below. I think, think winter in the Mediterranean, mm-hmm. <laughs> so that the temps are in the 40s. It's dark for at least uh, two-thirds of the day. 
Maybe there's a place in your basement. Maybe you've got a, a room, a closet. We, uh, we have a guest bedroom that, that <laughs> well, right now we can't have guests, so it's perfect. We, we were able to put them in there, open the windows, and, uh, you know, turn, turn the lights out when they needed dark. And they thought they were going through their Mediterranean winter. And then once we brought them back out into the warmth, voila, they thought they were in their second year and they thought, okay, now we can start to really grow up and think about budding out. But yeah. you can't, it's too late. They can't plant, they can't plant um, artichokes now and get anything. Uh, probably not. Uh, again, I haven't planted them this late, possibly. I, I wouldn't say no. I, you can give it a shot. We planted ours on April 19th. Uh, I have planted them earlier than that and had, had success. So I, I think, uh, I, I mean, artichokes... Maybe it's because I was an artichoke farmer in Italy in a past life. I don't know. But I just, I love artichokes. They're a beautiful plant. Uh, I mean, the foliage is beautiful. The buds are so cool how they come up. And, you know, your first bud is oh, often the biggest. Oh, it's and it's succulent. And, oh, you just steam it a little and peel those buds off, or those, those leaves off. Mm. Yeah, but you can get three, four, My five, six. <laughs> you can get three, four, five, six buds per plant. It depends, you know. And, again... They're commercially, they'll usually cut the first bud and then not go any further than that. But I, I think uh, you can get several buds from one plant. Um, yeah, and, and they're, they're all good. So um, what other questions do people have? Uh, there's too many for us to try to answer all today. But uh, someone was asking if cold snaps affect rhubarb. Mm. Heck no. Rhubarb no. likes that sort of thing. It does. And, and rhubarb, you know, if you haven't harvested any rhubarb yet, get in there and get your first batch harvested. Don't pick it all, though. Pick about half, a, thir a two-thirds of your stalks and uh, let the rest of the leaves stay on there, the stalks and leaves, because they need to keep feeding that plant, and then you'll get more harvest through the year. Also, little tip, when you cut those great big leaves off, tuck them back in under your rhubarb plants, and it mulches them for you. The, the leaves are awesome mulch. Yeah, one other, one other thing about rhubarb, too, is uh, make sure you cut the seed stalks off. Mm, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, uh, well, unless you're trying to save the seed, of course. But, we've never but done that. We've never done that because, uh, again, uh, you, know, you know, rhubarb is, is a perennial, and gosh, I, I don't know how long a rhubarb plant lives, but I've never, yeah. I've never seen one die of natural causes in my lifetime. No, you'll know it's a seed stalk <laughs> if it comes up and it's starting to get a ball on the end, like it's starting to get a big bud on the end. Just chop that baby right off as soon as you see it so that it doesn't try to go to seed. And on again, uh, one, some people are asking, well, what do you do with all your produce? Well, one thing <sighs> we do is, uh, is freeze that rhubarb. Yeah. Rhubarb is great for, in fact, we still have a bag <laughs> A frozen rhubarb that Kathy needs to make into a pie soon, right? I do. I, wh where was I slacking? Another <laughs> rhubarb recipe that I have promised to make Ed very soon is a rhubarb chutney. <laughs> and, and it's so good with a pork loin. Oh, my gosh. I'm gonna, it's a sp somewhat spicy thing. We'll do that soon. One other question. Um, we, uh, we got so many more questions to answer. We'll try to get back to some of them, but we've got to take a break here in a bit. But one, one more question I'll, I'll answer is... Uh, Folks ask, you know, when will lettuce, spinach, arugula, and radishes be ready? Well, if you planted uh, in late March or early April, they should be ready pretty soon. Our, our late plantings mm -hmm. are, well, we're already eating our second, okay, let me back up. Our back first up, planting, man. our first planting of lettuce, spinach, and arugula is second week of October in a cold frame, which is just a wooden box, mm -hmm. uh, open wooden box with old storm windows placed over it. And then maybe you pack some straw or leaves or snow if you've got it around the around the sides. And you know what? We start. We've been eating lettuce, spinach, arugula from uh, from March third since March third. 
In fact, that cold frame, that, that crop is done. We're mm -hmm. beyond, the, it, it bolted. So right now we're into our second crop, which we planted in early, I think March 11. And that crop is, uh, is, is now ready. Good and tender. Good, can, and we've eaten a lot of radishes already. Yeah, you can probably still plant some, plant lettuce and spinach and arugula. It is getting a bit late, but um, think about the fall. You can still, you could plant them in August again, early August. Mm -hmm. And then most important, the cold, cold frame is the best because you've got a crop of, Fresh, fruit, fresh food from your garden at a time when it's normally never available. Hey, folks, thanks for, um, thanks for tuning in to today's Fallon Forum. Again, this is Ed Fallon, your host here with uh, Kathy Burns of Birds and Bees Urban Farm.